Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. Hello, my name is David Obelt. I am the Chief Content Officer for Malcontent News. Today is Sunday, October 30th, 2022. Thank you for joining us once again on the Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. It's the end of the month, and on the end of the month, what do we do? We provide a letter grade on how we think Russia and Ukraine has performed based on the goals that we had set for each belligerent at the start of the month. I'll also talk about where the analyst team and myself think the direction of things will go in the month of November. And with that, let's get started. The first front that we're going to start on is Kherson and Mykolaiv. I'm going to start with the Russian objectives. And remember, these were written on October 1st, and a lot has changed from October 1st to October 30. Russian objectives, integrate the oblast into Russian Federation, hold existing defensive lines, protect remaining lines of communication, LOC, lock supply lines, defend Kherson, prevent envelopment on the western side of the Dnipro River, and restrict insurgent activity. Russia gets a D, and a D might be generous. Let's go through the first one. Integrate oblast into the Russian Federation. They held the sham referendum vote. The Duma on October 5th said, yes, Kherson is now part of Russia. And I get that most of the world doesn't recognize that. We're looking at this through the filter of the Russian Federation. We're now a month past this. And what's going on? Well, we're evacuating the civilian population west of the Dnipro River to Russia. And when I say Russia, not Kherson is part of Russia, Russia, or even Zaporizhia is now part of Russia, Russia. No, we're sending them to pre-2014 borders, Russia, or occupied Crimea, which we still say is Russia. This is not exuding confidence that they have integrated the oblast into the Russian Federation. In the city of Kherson, store owners, gas stations, pharmacies aren't even taking the ruble anymore because they could see the handwriting on the wall on what's going to happen. The administrative officials of the city have moved to the east side. We've seen the military commanders move to the east side of the river. It is very clear they have done nothing to integrate the oblast into the Russian Federation. In this respect, they have an F. The next goal, hold existing defensive lines. Russia gets a C. Wait a minute. Why do they get a C? They did not hold the defensive lines in northern Kherson. That's 100% correct, and we'll unpack that. West of Kherson, northwest of Kherson, on the Mikulev side, they have largely held the defensive lines there, and that's why they get a C. In this area, that part of the Kherson Oblast, Russia gets an A. They held the offensive line. On the northern part, Russia gets an F. They lost 20 kilometers of territory. They did it in less than a week. Because of the terrain in Kherson, advancing 20 kilometers in a very short period of time is extremely challenging. And so in this respect, Russia had the advantage. They were steamrolled in a very short period of time. We're seeing signs that Ukraine is chipping away 
at existing Russian defenses. We're seeing captured pieces of artillery, captured MLRS launchers, destroyed artillery pieces on the Russian side. This indicates that in some areas, Ukraine is breaking through and getting into that rear echelon. This is why they get this split grade. When you look at it holistically, they get a C. If you look at it by looking at the West, they get an A. And if you look at it looking at the North, they get an F. It balances those out. The next one, protect remaining lines of communication, lock supply lines. Why don't we say ground lines of communication here? Because not all of the supply lines that are going into the Western part of Hersan are on the ground. They're using helicopters to move supplies, and they're crossing the river. That's why we say line of communication instead of ground line communication. They get a C. Wait a minute. Why do they get a C here? Isn't it an F? Ukraine holds fire control. Russia's having a tremendously difficult time in moving supplies across the river. At Nova Havkova, Russia filled in the spillway with gravel, and they have reopened that ground line of communication. It is much harder now for Ukraine to destroy that crossing. They can attack it. They can interdict supplies. They can attack the Russian troops and equipment that is stationed waiting to cross at that point because it's a choke point. It's only one lane wide there. Troops have to wait and then cross through this narrow point, and it creates literal traffic jams, which become very ripe targets, particularly for rockets fired by HIMARS. But they have established a ground line of communication. It may be supporting 25 to 30% of the total supply needs. However, they're not cut off. The next goal, defend Hersan. This is a very tough grade to give because... We have something that one person in my circle described as Schrodinger's retreat. And what a great analogy. Are the Russians retreating? Are they not retreating? It's very hard to figure out. You see a lot of signs that support they are going to retreat. They are going to leave. We're seeing, for example, they're pulling the wounded to the east side of the river. They are pulling all of their medical doctors and medical facilities to the east side of the river. They're blowing up bridges. They're mining areas where Ukraine is going to advance. These are not the actions of a military that believes that they are sticking around. These are the actions of a military that is purely defensive and is very concerned that they're going to be pushed out. We're seeing some of the elite units that Russia put in there getting pulled back. On the flip side, we're seeing a lot of untrained Mobics and Chechens being sent to the other side of the river, accessing this ground line of communication at Nova Havkova and also to a lesser extent at the ferry crossings. So this is a very confusing state. There was a report this morning that Russian forces are pulling their artillery units from the west side of the Dnipro. And that's coming from the general staff of the armed forces of Ukraine. We're shocked by this report. If this is true, this is not the actions of a military that is planning to stick around. What is the one thing that Russian forces have to their advantage? Artillery. If they are pulling their artillery units from Kherson, and notice I said if, not confirming that they are, but if they are, this is a huge indication they are not planning to stick around. The Russian Air Force and Russian aviation does not have air superiority or air dominance here. And without artillery, the Mobics are going to have a really hard time holding any semblance of a defensive line. That's why we're skeptical that this is happening. 
If it is happening, it might be driven because there are supply issues. We are definitely seeing a significant reduction in Russian artillery fire, and this has been declining through the entire month of October. We're also seeing a lot less mobility from Russian vehicles. We are not seeing Russian tanks moving around a lot. We're not seeing infantry fighting vehicles engaged in fighting. They're stationary. This is indication of fuel shortages. So we know that there's supply problems, but it's very hard to figure out right now, is Russia leaving Kherson or aren't they? And this is probably very intentional on the Russian part. So I'm going to punt on the grade. I'm going to give them the college of uh, withdrew without passing. The next one, prevented development on the western side of the Dnipro River. So far, Russia gets a C there. They're not enveloped, but their situation isn't very good. Around October 10th, there were a lot of rumors that Russian forces were going to leave Boroslav and they were going to go to Vasily and establish defensive lines on the west bank of the Dnipro River. And our view and analyst view was this made no sense. This would put Russia in position of being at very high risk of being in a Dunkirk situation that they would be forced on this very narrow crossing to have to move thousands upon thousands of troops while they are under fire control from not just GMLRS, HIMARS systems, but also just conventional artillery. This would be a disaster, and this didn't pan out. Russian forces are still holding on to Boroslav, and they're defending that, and we're not surprised by that. That strategy is preventing that envelopment of Russian troops on that side of the river. And the last thing, restrict insurgent activity. Here they get a D, ton of activity, assassinations, car bombings, rocket-propelled grenade attacks. Russian journalists who are in Kherson who have any shred of credibility left describe the situation as very tense. You don't know who to trust. And one reporter recently described the situation there as, quote-unquote, wild. The other thing that came out yesterday from Wargonzo, and I know we've been bagging on Wargonzo, and I have a complex relationship with my view on Valentina, who is one of their mercenary reporters. He really comes across to me as somebody that, yeah, absolutely in the tank for Russia, is a propagandist, but at least tries to tell both sides of the story. He released a very short video, which was positive, but then he released a written narrative, which painted a very different picture of what is going on in Kherson. And he reported that there is open fighting going on on the edges of the city between Chechen troops and Russian troops, and that people were coming to him, both pro-Russian and interesting, according to his claim, People that are more in the tank for Ukraine, uh, what's going on with the Russians and Chechens killing each other outside of the city? This probably explains some of the reports that we get every now and then of, hey, there's a firefight that's going on in Kherson, or people are hearing fighting just outside of the city. According to Wargonzo, these fights are Russian troops against Chechen troops. This has been continuing in that area almost through the entire occupation. 
Moving on to Ukraine, their first goal, liberate the Kherson Oblast west of the Dnipro River. They get a C. They gain 20 kilometers north, but they have not been able to move the line of conflict from the west and the northwest of Kherson. We've already covered this in depth on the Russian side. There's no reason to recap it. The second objective, push Russian forces back far enough to end multiple launch rocket system MLRS attacks on Mykolaiv and Kriviri, the two cities. Here, they get a B. They get a B because they have not been able to do this with Mykolaiv, although the number and intensity of multiple launch rocket attacks from Smirch rockets, because they have a longer range, is down dramatically, but it is still happening. For Kriviri, they get an A. Uh, They have pushed Russian forces far enough back that we are not seeing Grad and Smirch rocket attacks in the city, within the city itself, at this point. There's been a couple of tornado. In theory, the tornado system has a range of up to 120 kilometers, in theory. And there's been some stuff that's hit on the outer edge of the city and the suburbs, but nothing in the city itself. Ukraine essentially is doing a solid job when it comes to And with all that said, Ukraine gets a solid B. Moving on to Dnipropetrovsk and Zaporizhia. Starting with the Russian objectives. Integrate the oblast into the Russian Federation. That's for Zaporizhia. Capture the rest of the oblast. Again, Zaporizhia. Break civilian will with continued terror attacks and turn popular opinion against Ukraine by terrorizing the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. How did they do? Integrating the oblast into the Russian Federation. Big fat F. Yes, they held the sham referendum. Yes, the Duma ratified it on October 5th. They haven't even defined what the borders are. They're telling the International Atomic Energy Agency, hey, we own the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, and the agency's go, no, you don't. What are you talking about? Big, fat F. Second one, capture the rest of the oblast. Big, fat F. Nothing has happened in Zaporizhia. There's been almost no fighting that's worth reporting through the entire month of October. There's been a lot of paranoia that Ukraine is going to launch a large counteroffensive here, which also never materialized. That paranoia coming all from the Russian mill blogger community. The next one, break civilian will with continued terror attacks. Again, this is an F, and we've talked about this at length. The only thing that these attacks on energy infrastructure, heating systems, water supply is only galvanizing civilian resistance. These tactics don't work in the 21st century. And the last one, turn popular opinion against Ukraine by terrorizing the Zafrisia nuclear power plant. No one's even talking about it anymore. We do in our updates. We provide an update daily in every podcast that we do on the situation there. You don't see headlines about what's going on at the plant because it's not about that. We've changed the narrative. We have a new crisis du jour, and that crisis du jour is dirty bombs and combat mosquitoes. I'm not kidding you on the combat mosquitoes. We're back to biolabs. The problem that the Kremlin has here in trying to create this false narrative, they requested for the IAEA to be there along with Ukraine. And now they're there. And Russia was going, see, they're shelling the plant. And the IAEA inspectors who were there full time are going, there was no shelling. There's nothing that happened here today. Yes, there was an explosion outside of the plant. But the Russian soldiers that are here that are talking to us said it was a landmine that blew up for reasons that we don't understand. Russia lost the narrative here when it comes to the plant, and they've moved on from it. Russia gets an F. 
What were the Ukrainian objectives? Prevent further Russian advances, exploit weaknesses in the line of conflict, and prepare the area's civilian population for a nuclear accident. Remember, this was written in October 1st. Things have evolved. It's October 30th. When it comes to preventing further Russian advances, Ukraine gets an A. Russia has not been able to move the line across the Zaporizhia Oblast. A. Exploit weaknesses on the line of conflict. That's a little hard to say. There was some chipping away. We know there's some DRG and special operation forces activity that's going on. We're not seeing any big advances. We saw some stuff in late September, but everything is quieted down on this line. Ukraine gets a C. And prepare the area civilian population for a nuclear accident. Ukraine gets an A by default, but by the middle of October, this was no longer a goal. Ukraine gets an A. It's that simple. Moving on to southwest Donetsk, what were the Russian objectives? Integrate the Oblast into the Russian Federation, capture the rest of the Oblast, maintain existing defensive lines, and bring the insurrection across southwestern Donetsk under control. First one, integrate the Oblast into the Russian Federation. Big fat F. Same situation that's happening in the previous two regions that we talked about. They passed the sham referendum. They said on October 5th, yes, you are now part of Mother Russia. And the fact is, nothing's really been done to integrate this area into Mother Russia. The residents of the Donetsk People's Republic are complaining because they were told, hey, the border checkpoints between the DNR and the Russian Federation would get moved. And they were promised this. And what Russia was saying was, we're going to figure out where we're going to move those checkpoints to, but they're going to go away. And they didn't go away. Not only have they not gone away, but they have become massive choke points for traveling between the two regions. Oh, scary, scary. It's no part of Russia. They're going to use tactical nuclear weapons to defend Russian territory. Remember, all that conversation at the start of October, and now we have Putin walking it back, not only walking it back, but going, that was the West that was threatening to use. It wasn't us. It was the West. Man, they are so good at being professional victims. All right, moving on. Capture the rest of the Oblast. Here, they get a D-, and the only thing that saves them from an F is they have made very small gains west of Donetsk City, and that's happened within the last 72 hours. They've moved through some empty fields. They're on the edge of Vodane. This is not earth-shattering progress. Avdivka is in no danger of being encircled. They launched a series of attacks up to the north. This offensive started on July 22nd. We're to October 30th, and they have advanced maybe two kilometers west of Donetsk City. Finally brought Pisky under control after three months of trying. Maintaining existing defensive lines. For the month of October, Russia here gets a B plus. They've done a solid job of holding the territory that they control. Well, wait a minute. If they hold the defensive lines, how come they're not getting an A? Because their goal was to capture the rest of the Oblast, not just to prevent losing any territory that they also controlled. Yeah, they did a great job of holding the defensive lines they got, but they didn't meet the main objective. The last thing, bring the insurrection across southwestern Donetsk under control. This is a D. There's a lot of insurgent activity that's going on in Mariupol, and this goes far beyond graffiti and documenting Russian troop movements that are going through the city. For the month of October, Russia gets a C-. How about Ukraine? Their objectives, lock Russian military assets in place, defend the existing line of conflict while finding and exploiting weaknesses, destroy troop concentrations and command and control sites, interdict supplies, and disrupt logistics. Here, Ukraine gets a solid B. 
They've certainly done a good job of locking Russian military assets in place. Not only that, Russia has had to allocate additional resources in this location, largely to just hold the line. Russia has been throwing a bunch of Mobux into the meat grinder that is west of Donetsk. This is how they are making these gains. They are sacrificing hundreds and hundreds of lives to get those two kilometers that they picked up in the month of October. Uh, Ukraine's doing a solid job of exploiting weaknesses. They definitely are doing poking on the line of conflict, but we're not seeing any kind of big gains that are going on there. Destroy troop concentrations, command and control sites, interdict supplies, disrupt logistics. This is artillery. This is high mark strikes. The tempo of this has become so intense, we actually stopped tracking it on a map. We did not anticipate how critical and how many high march strikes there would be when we initially started tracking this activity in June. There are simply too many strikes to track. We also stopped tracking Russian missile strikes. We started tracking it to prevent the whataboutism. Well, how come you're only tracking the Ukrainian strikes? Why aren't you tracking the Russian ones? You're being biased. So we were tracking that to prevent that discussion. And we stopped tracking the Russian strikes because there's been so many, particularly in October, that it is also impossible to keep up. And our map would just be a cover of yellow and red balls. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News. And I would like to thank our patrons for their support. Without you, we couldn't do what we do. Let's talk about Northeast Donetsk. Russian objective, integrate the oblast into the Russian Federation, defend against Ukraine the advances towards Luhansk, and capture Bakhmut and Solodar. I think you know where this grade is going. This is an F. Uh, there is no pity D minus here. We've already talked about integrating the Donetsk Oblast and the Russian Federation. Everything else applies. There's no need to rehash that. Defend against Ukrainian advances towards Luhansk. This is an F. Russia lost control of almost every square inch of the Donetsk Oblast in the northeast part of that region in the month of October. It's a solid F. Capture Bakhmut and Solidar. Not only has Russian forces not captured Bakhmut and Solidar, and those attempts started all the way back in early July, they've lost territory. At the beginning of October, private military company Wagner Group troops were in the very eastern parts of Solidar. There was shelling and fighting going on almost to the center of Solidar. Not only have they pushed all the way back, the gypsum mine is no man's land, and for a short period of time, lost control of the North Gips sheetrock factory, which is in southeastern Solidar and in northeastern Bakhmutsky. In Bakhmut, They've been pushed back, Wagner, about two kilometers. And Russian sources tried to create confusion in the information space. Ukrainian sources go, we've taken over the concrete plant, which isn't a concrete factory in the conventional sense. It's actually a buildings material plant that makes a variety of things, and it bagged concrete there. Ukraine released video of them in this plant. Within a couple of days, Russian sources are going, no, see, that wasn't true. Here's pictures of us at the asphalt plant, claiming that these are two of the same locations. They're not. 
two completely different locations. Russia controls the asphalt factory. Ukraine retook control of the concrete and building materials factory. Looking at Northeast Donetsk specifically, Russia has had a miserable month. What are Ukrainian objectives? Defend Bakhmut Solidar while managing equipment and personnel losses, minimize civilian casualties, and defend their ground lines of communication into Northeast Donetsk. You got to give Ukraine the A here. Not only have they defended Bakhmut and Solidar, they are managing equipment and personnel losses. They're suffering heavy losses. Do not get me wrong, but we are not seeing catastrophic losses to the point that they are having to give up their defense, and we are not seeing severe equipment losses. They're minimizing civilian casualties because they have convinced most of the civilians to evacuate out of Donetsk Oblast. There have been a number of Russian artillery strikes, rocket attacks, that had civilians not evacuated, had not heeded this message, we would have seen terrible casualties, and we're not seeing that. Clearly, they are defending their ground lines of communication because Ukraine is on the offensive in this region region. Ukraine gets a solid A. The next access is Luhansk. What were the Russian objectives? Integrate the Oblast into the Russian Federation, hold current defensive lines, and control the insurgency. These are going to change a lot based on events that happened in October. We've already hashed out integrate Oblast into the Russian Federation. This is an F. There's nothing different here compared to any of the other oblasts that we have talked about. Hold the current defensive lines. Russia here gets a C- minus because Ukraine is advancing into Luhansk. I think people are expecting to see this same rapid advance that we saw tear through Kharkiv Oblast in September, and that isn't a realistic expectation. On October 3rd, Ukrainian forces were about 30 kilometers from Zvatove. On October 25th, they were 10 to 12 kilometers, and at the time of this recording, they are from 8 to 12 kilometers, depending on which direction you are looking at. That's real progress, especially when we compare this to Bakhmut and Solidar, where the average advance until Ukraine pushed them back two kilometers was 30 35 meters a day going back to the middle of May. Russia's moved a lot of Mobics into this area, and they have plugged the defensive holes, and this is slowing down the Ukrainian advance, but that's the key word. It's slowing it down. It's not stopping it. These Mobics that are untrained, under-equipped, low motivation are little more than speed bumps to the Ukrainian advance. They're making excellent speed bumps, but they are not holding the defensive line. And the last one, which is control insurgency, there was a ton of insurgent activity at the beginning of October. The reason that it had styled down is that the areas where this activity was going on, Ukraine has either advanced into these towns or is taken fire control, is artillery shelling and firing rockets into these towns now. There is no need for an insurgency. Russia here gets a D plus to a C minus. What were Ukrainian objectives? Break the Russian defensive lines, make opportunistic territorial gains, and support the insurgents. They've certainly broke through Russian defensive lines. We've recapped that talking about the Russian situation, advancing up to 20 kilometers in some places. They also retook Bilohorivka, and they have advanced in the last 48 hours, they being Ukraine, 
getting pretty close to the very, very outer edges of Lyshansk. And then finally, when it comes to supporting the insurgents, you could say that the insurgents are getting tremendous support now because the Ukrainian military is back in areas where there were a lot of this insurgent activity was going on, and the insurgents don't have to carry the load anymore. Ukraine has earned itself a solid B, B+. What held back Ukraine from getting the A is, although I said that there isn't a realistic expectation to go, this advance should be moving as fast as Kharkiv, realistically, they are being slowed down. The last axis, Kharkiv. What were the Russian objectives? lock Ukrainian military resources in place, launch terror attacks on civilians in an attempt to maximize casualties by deprivation of heat, water, and medical services, and break morale. The other one that was in the earlier part of October was to defend the so-called Putin line, which is to prevent Ukrainian forces from moving to the east side of the Oskil River. And in this respect, Russia gets a D-. Have they locked military resources in place? Not really. There have been spoiling tasks northeast of Kharkiv, the city, and at a couple of sites that were border crossings between Ukraine and Russia before Russia's wide-scale invasion. None of these have been serious. That's why we call them spoiling attacks. And they have been repelled by Territorial Guard and the National Police of Ukraine. Is Ukraine having to keep some military resources in this area? Absolutely. They are definitely watching this border. There's definitely concern that there could be a re-push of Russian forces here. But they're not keeping massive amounts of military resources locked into place. Launch terror attacks on civilians in an attempt to maximize casualties by deprivation of heat, water, and medical services and break morale. As we covered before, these attacks are having the opposite effect. They are galvanizing Ukrainian resistance. They are disturbing the international audience. This is not having the impact that they believe they would have. The other thing is, there's been a lot less attacks on Kharkiv in general compared to other parts of Ukraine in the month of October. October. And that's been achieved by pushing the Russian forces all the way back to the border. And Russia's been hitting the city with mostly S-300 anti-aircraft missiles used for ground attack. And the quality of those missiles, the number of failures that Russia was starting to see during launches was breaching 25 to 40%. Those attacks have, they haven't vanished but they are way down. The last one, which was at the start of October, which was defend the Putin line. Keep Ukrainian forces from crossing to the east side of the Oskil. Big F. Not only did Ukrainian forces push all the way to the Oskil, at the time of this recording, Russia only holds 28 villages in Kharkiv Oblast, and Ukraine has fire control over all 28 of those villages. If you're a Russian soldier and you're in this northeast little corner of Kharkiv that Russia is clinging to, this is not a fun place to be right now. Not only did Ukraine cross the Oskil River and establish up to four bridgeheads, they have pushed to the Luhansk administrative border and then some across most of that line. Russia has done terrible here. They get a D minus and they're 
just towing the line on an F. What were the Ukrainian objectives? Liberate all of Kharkiv Oblast, sever the ground lines of communication into Luats, the Russian ground lines of communication, protect civilian lives, and defend the Ukrainian border. Liberate all of the Kharkiv Oblast. They get a B plus. They don't get an A because there's still 28 villages that have the Russian flag flying over them. Yes, they're under Ukrainian fire control. Not a fun place to be if you're a Russian soldier, but it's still under Russian control. Sever the ground lines of communications into Luansk. Ukraine gets a C here. They haven't severed those lines. They haven't taken full control, at least at the time of this recording. If Ukraine can sever those lines leading into Luansk, it is going to make the defense, particularly of Crimea, which is in Luansk, very challenging. Protect civilian lives. Here, Ukraine is going to get an A because the constant rocket and missile attacks that were happening on Kharkiv have all but ended at this point. There's been a couple of strikes, but they have become the exception, not the daily attacks that we were seeing at the start of the month. Ukraine's done a very good job there. Defend the Ukrainian border. They have defended very well against these spoiling attacks, against these probing attacks. They have found DRG units and sabotage units trying to sneak across the border and cause problems. The border guards, the border police, territorial guard is doing an excellent job along the Kharkiv border. Ukraine's done a very solid job in this area. What do we think is coming up for the month of November? Well, one of the big factors that we're already starting to see is mud. Mud season has arrived in Ukraine. It is slowing down military operations for both belligerents on multiple fronts. Weather in Kherson is supposed to be pretty good. They've had actually sunny and unusually warm weather for about three days in a row now. The mud situation will improve. We may see an uptick in operational tempo because of that. Eastern Ukraine has been a lot more soggy, and there is a lot more mud. The other thing that's happening is the temperatures are dropping, and some of these areas where fighting is going on, snow's going to be arriving by the end of November into early December. The big question is, will we see a change of tactics? We're seeing operational tempo slow, winter is certainly going to change the battlefield. Will Ukraine and Russia move to a place where they're going to dig in, hold defensive lines, and simply wait for the spring? My assessment, I don't think so. I think we're going to see one or both belligerents attempt to take advantage of the winter, and I think we will see both launch offensives in different places. And I can't sit here and say, I think there'll be an offensive here or an offensive there. I don't have that degree of a crystal ball. I don't think they're going to sit on the sidelines through the winter months. In Kherson, Schrodinger's retreat. Russian forces look like to us that they are retreating. On the other side of the coin, like one of the reports we saw today is they're starting to string barbed wire on the outskirts of Kherson. It still looks like Russia is going to yield the northern part of the Kherson Oblast, west of the Dnipro River, and potentially some of the areas to the west of Kherson. But it looks like they want to hold on to Kherson, the city itself, or try to force Ukraine into urban warfare. Ukraine won't do that. Their military doctrine is to bypass, convince they're going to be surrounded, force the retreat. What I would see happen if Russia tries to turn Kherson into a fortress, Ukraine will do everything that they can to cut off the ground lines of communication across the Dnipro River into whatever defensive line that they create 
and essentially starve the Russian troops out. And that will be very complicated for Russian forces when we move into those winter months. Russian attacks on Ukrainian civilians and civilian infrastructure, that's going to continue unabated. Russian Ministry of Defense wants to destroy Ukraine's electrical grid. We're expecting significant reprisals for the attack on Sevastopol and the damage that was caused to multiple ships in the Black Sea fleet. I'm not prepared for this podcast to give our full assessment on what we think was damaged or if anything was sunk. We're still gathering that data. The situation is probably a lot worse than the official Russian narrative because they're not providing receipts to go, see, nothing sunk, nothing is damaged. Here is a picture of the Admiral Makarov and it is sailing out to sea and it is perfect and in perfect condition. We're not seeing that. What we're seeing is the direct opposite. The official Russian position is nothing happened. There was only one ship. It got some very minor damage. It's a minesweeper. No big deal. But we're going to turn all the cameras off that people could access on the internet to watch port traffic going in and out and look over the port because we don't want people seeing what's actually going on. Red flag. That's red flag number one. The second thing is, is they've been trying to control this narrative. Anytime Russia goes, it wasn't Ukraine. It was the United States or it was the British or it was the NATO, you know things are worse because they don't want to give Ukraine any credit to any military action. So whenever Russia gets its ass handed to it, they blame NATO, UK, United States. They've gone to that well. This was a United Kingdom operation. United States drone was providing security information during the whole time of the attack and coordinating it. And because the attack was completely unsuccessful and nothing happened, we're blaming foreign countries and we're getting out of the grain shipment deal because the drones came from Odessa and this was a dirty trick and that's why we're doing all of this. When Russia goes to this well, things didn't go well for Russia. Here is something we are going to learn over the next week. The longer it takes for Russia to do its reprisal attacks, and the smaller that reprisal attack is, it becomes a significant indication that Russia is running low on missiles and is using up their Iranian source Shahid-136 kamikaze drones at an unsustainable rate. So that is going to be something to look for over the next three, five, seven, ten days. Ukrainian offensives and Russian offensives west of Donetsk, Solodar, and Bakhmut. We just don't see anything big happening here. Russia can throw a bunch of untrained Mobics. PMC Wagner can continue to recruit prisoners out of penal colonies in Russia. As somebody who taught winter survival training in a past life, you can't take somebody, give them 10 days of military training, which is inadequate in itself, throw them into winter conditions and expect them to be able to fight competently, let alone have the skill set to keep from getting frostbite, from keep from getting from hymothermia, and to keep from becoming a liability on the battlefield. Russian President Vladimir Putin has already said there are 82,000 Mobiks already in Ukraine. They're not having a material impact beyond slowing down Ukrainian advances. The Russian army remains combat destroyed with very low combat power. This isn't 1941. You're not going to be able to just throw human bodies at this problem and continue to throw human bodies at this problem and eventually find some sort of victory. Russia will run out of human bodies well before they run out of real estate that they have to capture across Ukraine. In conclusion, I think that November is going to be a transitory month. 
We may see Ukraine or Russia attempt a couple of big pushes before the weather really sours and snow starts to settle in. And when we reach that transition, mud will get really bad. Once everything freezes solid, and that probably gets into late to middle of December, that's when we may see somebody doing a winter surprise. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to subscribe. The other thing you could do is if you're listening to us on one of the sites where you can leave a review, please leave a review, particularly if it's a positive one. If it's not a positive one, please send us a message and let us know how we can improve. Tips at malcontentment.com. One more time tips at malcontentment.com. You can also contact our social media manager directly at social at malcontentment.com. One more time, social at malcontentment.com. My name is David Obelts. I'm the chief content officer for Malcontent News. Once again, thank you for joining me. Two things before I go away. For my United States audience, I don't care if you're Republican, Democrat, Independent, please vote. Midterm election day is November 8th. A lot of places across the United States have already opened up early voting. If you're in a state that supports that. If you're one of these people that complains about the state of everything and you're not voting, you've lost your ticket to complain about the state of things. So please go out and vote. And the last thing, particularly in these troubling times, please be good to each other. Malcontent out. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.